Welcome to Mind Your Autistic Brain. Today, I'm sharing a segment of a conversation that I had with my friend, Rebecca Samuel, from Scripture Prescriptions. She also has The Healing Place. She and I had this conversation back in June about cyberbullying, about bullying that was going on, not just to us, because we had experienced several things that had happened that month. And I had had someone who, several people actually, there were two people that had infiltrated my private Facebook group and had spammed it from top to bottom and were inviting people to come to their group. But through this conversation, also there are a lot of things that Rebecca and I had both noticed within the autism community of a lot of bullying going on within our own community. Autistics attacking or not being kind in how they addressed an issue that upset them with another autistic person. And Rebecca and I talk about this aspect today, and we kind of dive in a little bit to hopefully help you understand, number one, that it's not okay, that there is a right way and and a not so right way to convey how you think to someone else. There is critiquing versus criticizing. And we define that and sort of differentiate it. I also go into sharing with you the neuroscience behind what goes on within your brain and makes you feel so horrible when it does happen. It's called a social hurt. And it actually, in the brain, shows where you're actually hurting. So I talk about that. And then we also get into some of the things as to why Someone might have been triggered by a particular word that you used that means something completely different to you. And Rebecca touches on triggers. And I'm also going to put a reference below in the show notes so that you can watch a video series that she did. And I participated with her in two of the three episodes on her YouTube channel about PTSD, but about triggers. And I think it's an important thing to understand that a word is just a word until you assign meaning to it. And everyone has a different meaning because your history and your experiences tie into what a word means. And one of the reasons that I'm airing this on the podcast today is because I've seen a lot of things that are happening in autism groups because you have to remember that we are an international, we are a global community in a lot of these online groups. And the same standard of definition in one country for autism is not necessarily the same or the standard in another. And there's a lot of language differences in how we perceive and how we talk about autism. Some people still say Asperger's because that's what's being used in their area. That's what's being told. And that's what they know. They don't know that there is a DSM-5 and there's an update and it's all autism now. And that's okay. That's where they are. And everybody has to start on this journey where they are. It's also something we need to discuss and think about when it comes to functioning language. Now, I learned, I didn't know coming into this, that high functioning, low functioning, that that type of functioning language had issues because I didn't know. I'd only heard what I had been told in my own experience, being told, yes, you're autistic, you're high-functioning Asperger's autistic. And I'm like, okay, and I really didn't know what it meant. 
but it's part of the journey. And as Lane identified, we come along and we're sort of sometimes thrown into it. Sometimes we kind of ease into it. It just sort of depends on your life circumstances. And everybody uses the language that they know at the time. And as part of this conversation, I want each of us to be aware that just because someone uses language that we have learned isn't always the best language choice or word choice. When that happens, we have to take the time to go, you know what, we were probably there at one point too. Or, you know, someone educated us about functioning language or how to address, you know, how we are termed in our world in a way that helped us grow and understand. And that's what I want each of us to take the time to learn a little bit more about and to be respectful of one another. And when we do reach out to educate someone else, I want us to remember that we need to critique from a place of love and kindness to help someone who's going through the same things that we have gone through, who are is facing the same challenges that we are. And to know that it, we do tend to have black and white thinking and we do seek justice. I mean, that is part of some of the wonderful things about us as autistic people is we are very just in wanting things to be fair. But we also have to remember that in the pursuit of that, we must remember the emotions and the feelings of the other autistic person who is coming along and is new on the journey or is in a place where that's just part of what they know. They don't know anything different yet. And you could be the person that helps them learn the next thing that's going to make a difference. And if we approach it in this way, then we're going to elevate because a rising tide raises all ships. And I want us to be a rising tide that raises all of the autistic people in our world. And as we do that, and as we learn to kindly and effectively educate one another in a way that is not bullying, that is not hurtful, and then is not going to cause more damage to someone who's probably already been damaged and hurt. Because you guys know it just as well as I do, living autistic and not knowing it, and then finally figuring it out, finally getting to that point where you know you're autistic and wow, that was what's been challenging me my whole life. I'm just wired differently. We've suffered a lot. We've struggled a lot. Let's not be the one that adds to another autistic person's struggle. Let's be the other person that says, hey, I'm here for you. And I'm going to help you on your journey. And I'm going to help you in a way that's not going to hurt you. I'm going to help you from a place of love and kindness. So I hope that you learn a little bit more about how your brain works, how your brain feels and responds to hurt, to social hurt. A way to think about how the other person may or may not be feeling in a response situation where you have felt like you've been attacked. And also I give you some tips on how to heal from this. And I want you to also remember that as you go forward, I want each and every one of us to remember that we are part of a rising tide to raise all ships in the autism community. So let's get started. When you do have a differing opinion, when you do have a different perspective, the best way, because there is a good way and there is a bad way to share your perspective and to share your ideas. 
And the bad way is the way that we've experienced a lot of lately. And a lot of you have too. And we know that we're not alone. Rebecca and I know that it's not just us, not, not because we know just from some place in our head that it, we're not alone. We know because we see it every day. I have seen some pretty heinous things being said from one autistic person to another. And it's because somebody doesn't agree with the language that you might be using. Somebody doesn't agree with your perspective or how you might be feeling at the time. And they are being addressed in the wrong way. There is a right way to do it. And it's called feedback. Feedback, when done correctly, done from a place of love and kindness, from a perspective of I am trying to help another person grow, that's perfectly great. There's a difference. There's criticism. Criticism is not helpful. It is not from a place of love. Critiquing is helpful and comes from a place of love. Can I make a mention on this? Yes. So a lot of times people will say, well, I am giving you constructive criticism. You may have heard this word before, constructive criticism. Oxymoron. It's so, yes, it's an oxymoron because it's basically a way to put a nice, kind sounding word with something that is straight up critical. (laughs) It is not critiquing as in something that is going to help this person get better, help improve, um, whatever it is that, you know, that they're struggling with. Uh, So that constructive criticism, I personally as an autistic do not like that word. (laughs) It is very uh, frustrating to hear that word because it's kind of a way of saying, oh, well, I want to be able to criticize you, but I'm going to put a nice little word with it that sounds better. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think too that there's also a lot of evidence that shows and research has gone into this as well about how people engage online. Mm -hmm. There is a sense of protected shelter Mm -hmm. and that I can say anything I want to anyone in any way that I choose because I'm not right in front of them. There is a physical disconnect and because it's the person is not physically in front of me, I'm not responsible for how they respond. I'm not responsible for what I say. I can say anything I want because I feel safe. I'm on the other side of the screen. They're not getting me. (laughs) Exactly. And a lot of um, self-righteousness comes into play. Mm -hmm. Um, And it comes back to speaking from a place of kindness, Mm -hmm. speaking from a place to be helpful to someone else. And so today we would like to talk about a lot of things that are happening right now because we have seen that it's not just us that's experienced this. It's you guys too. And we don't agree and we don't feel that it's okay for people who are already having a difficult time. So we have to come together and, and be supportive of one another and not tear each other down. We are already in a community of people who have been struggling for a long time. And Rebecca and I both are simply taking what we've learned and where we are to try and share and help other people who've experienced what we have get to a better place. Exactly. And a lot of times it can be hard because we are trying to have fellowship. We're trying to make friends. And a lot of us 
find that when we join certain groups, you know, we try to engage and then we get cut down or someone says something about us. It can be really hard because we're trying to emotionally engage with someone. And then it kind of shapes what the world is like for us. Like, is this everybody? Is everybody going to be like this towards us? And that's just simply not true. There are people out there, there's autistics out there who want to support you and come behind you and love you. And I know Carol and I are very much in that camp. <laughs> we want to love you and care for you and make sure that you are taken care of. And we want to protect you as well, which is why we're making this video. <laughs> we want to yeah, protect it, you. And I, I, feel, I feel really bad because I was being very vigilant about letting people in the group and trying to make sure that I had and was was being careful to make sure that everybody that was in the group was going to be helping one another. And there wasn't going to be somebody that's going to get in there and undercut and, and not share and help build another person up. And I, I failed, I failed with that. And I, I didn't do it because I wasn't trying, but I will tell you, I will be doing a whole lot better. But yeah, it's a learning this, process. Yeah. And, and this is new to me. In a lot of ways, this is new to Rebecca in a lot of ways. So we're helping each other. She's my buddy. Yes. <laughs> She's my buddy. And we help one another. And we have come to really respect and love one another in our different gifts. And she is a blessing to me every day. And I want to share something that Rebecca and I talked about before we started to record. And I want to talk about some of the science real quick behind what happens in your brain, a social hurt, when somebody says something to you that hurts your feelings that really, or that really wounds you in a way, those are considered a social hurt when it's something that someone else has done in a way that has not physically damaged you. Well, here's the interesting science on this. In the human brain, functional magnetic resonance imaging has shown in multiple studies that the part of the brain that lights up when you experience a social hurt is the exact same part of the brain that lights up when you experience a physical hurt. A broken leg, you know, you touch something hot, there's a specific part of your brain that lights up. Well, when you experience a social hurt, that same part lights up. So when somebody says, my heart is broken, before, they didn't really know the science behind it, but now, you know, your, your heart feels and physically is hurting as if it has been broken. And some of the, the healing process, you know, when you have a broken leg, you get it set, you know, it's wrapped in a cast and you have time where it heals. The long term of that, you forget how bad it hurt. You, you like, oh, my leg's better. I'm good. But you don't really recall that hurt. When it's a social hurt, you remember it longer and you remember it more vividly. So some of the, re the healing process when you have and, and have experienced a social hurt, there's twofold. And the reason you do this is one, you have to either verbalize it, say what it is that has actually hurt you, or write down exactly what has hurt you and be very specific about it. Because when you put words to what you've experienced, it allows the brain to make a shift and you can look at it objectively and you detach a bit of your emotion from it so that you can then become more aware of it and then start to dissect it in order to heal and move forward from what has happened. 
Excellent. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, so another point I want to bring up is the emotional connection to memories. Uh, when we have had someone hurt us in the past, or we have a memory that is attached to something that's happening in real time, this is very much called a trigger. Um, this is something I actually had made a video on identifying triggers, and I'm working on making a video, uh, hopefully this week, um, on a live session of talking through our triggers. Because triggers can often be that thing that shuts us off and walls us off from talking about the issue that's happening right now. Because all we can feel is like what she has said, the emotions and the pain that came from that experience that we were just having. So if someone says something or does something, um, we are getting emotionally attached and connected to that painful pain point to where it's hard to separate that with the logic. So now the emotion is controlling the logic of our brain to be able to talk through or get feedback or, you know, get a better, uh, a better handle on what is happening in that moment with you. That is the part about how all of that ties together with your brain so that you understand sort of what's going on internally with you. The reptilian brain. What is the reptilian brain, by the way? I've never heard of that before. Okay. <laughs> I'm learning here. <laughs> so those are the parts of the brain that were, were part of where we were as far as where the earth was at the time. So okay. when you're talking about we were in a hunting society, mm-hmm. the reptilian brain is our hunter brain. It is the one where we are aware of movements very quickly. We are, we react and respond to sounds. Okay. First and foremost. Okay. Gotcha. The cortex, as we moved into an agrarian society, mm-hmm. as we developed more industrialized living, as farming mm-hmm. trends came in, our society shifted from a hunter-gatherer society to an industrialized agricultural society. Those require two different parts of the brain. So the neocortex, which is your higher critical thinking brain, became more engaged. And it became the part that started to take over and develop because that was in response to our environment. So we still have a hunter-gatherer brain. And it is our our strong default setting because it's what will protect us. Our neocortex is our higher thinking farming brain that solves the problems of water irrigation and crop rotation for our survival, but not our immediate threat. So now how does the reptilian brain, what were we saying before about the emotions? Ah, well, that's where we started. That's where we talked about just a specific word. A word is just an association and a combination of letters. And it absolutely means nothing until you assign something to it. Mm -hmm. And where we vary and where so many conflicts arise is how each person perceives and interprets a word. So let's say for you and I that we have one word that we both talk about, but we have different experiences. We have different histories with Mm -hmm. that word. Mm -hmm. So that word means something completely different to me than it means to Rebecca. So without knowing, without me knowing what that word means to Rebecca, I mean, we can have a general sense that the word stop means to halt, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But to you, 
halt might mean something or stop might mean something totally different based on your experience. Like for me, when somebody tells me to stop, I'm like, okay, something's wrong. I have to protect, stop. For you, stop might mean, hey, you better look around. It might not mean there's a threat. Mm-hmm. You know, it's sort of like when you see a snake. Do you just see a snake or do you see a dangerous snake? Most people see a dangerous snake. And that's where our our brain comes in because we're constantly looking to protect ourselves. And that's what happens when someone gets triggered and they get upset or someone lashes out at another person. It's not the neocortex. It's not the higher thinking brain that's engaged right then. It is the reptilian brain because it's an emotional protective response. I'm hurt. This has upset me and I'm going to protect myself at all costs. And you're not using your higher thinking brain to really stop and evaluate. Somebody else may be using that same word, but it may not mean the same thing to them. Exactly. And this is why, it, you know, on the spiritual side, on the scripture prescriptions ministry side, you know, the group that I started is specifically uh, facing this issue. Because when one person says faith, it can be very much of a blessing to that person. Another person says faith and they could have had a really bad experience with the church, with faith, with uh, spiritual life in general. So now you end up with one person thinking, how could you not like faith or like church or enjoy the benefits and the blessings of, of being in a church? While the other one is saying, I've been very hurt by the church. I have been pained by the church and it is not pleasant. It is not comforting. So how, you know, that is the discussions that need to happen so that we can talk about our stories and share our stories. Well, that's one of the things that you and I felt really strongly about having this conversation today is because we know because we've gotten to another place and we've done some research and we've got some experience in how to address this and how to go forward. You know, normally I could say, man, I was totally devastated. I was crushed. I was in tears. I'm not going to move forward. I just quit and throw my hands up. Mm -hmm. But I know that that's not the rational higher thinking brain response. And I know that that is not what's best. That doesn't help me and that doesn't help anyone else. And my whole purpose is to serve and help others. Just like yours. Same. Mm -hmm. Same. Exactly. So you and I are having this really hard conversation today, not for you and me, (laughs) our conversation today to share with other people, to share with you on the other side of this, because we know you've been hurt too. We know that you've got some hurts that have happened online where somebody has said something that's just really, it's been criticism. It hasn't been critiquing. Right. Start a conversation within, within the autism group to say, Hey, we got to step back and we have to critique one another, not criticize. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, those, when we are not taking an emotional stance towards, I guess you would call it critiques or um, what seems to be like bullying or cyberbullying, right? I have a 
a lot of history in that. <laughs> um, being on the other end of the cyberbullying, so I understand what that feels like. Uh, when we take a different approach to that, when we take a different response and we come at it with an opposite spirit than what is coming at us, that is when healing can happen. And that's also when that kind of conversation can get shut down and it because it has no place to go. When you don't feed it, when you don't feed that... Um, that feeling of um, wanting to kind of get at somebody um, and, and just, you know, a lot of times bullies and people who are saying things like this and criticizing, they're doing it for reaction. They're doing it to make themselves feel good. And when you don't give them anything to work with, they move on and find someone else to do it to. Think about all of the different angles, like what we've been talking about. Think of the different angles that that person could be coming from. Most of the time, a bully will speak from their own hurt. And a lot of times too, the the drive behind that is you, you are hurt. And so you feel the need to defend yourself and to say and convince the other person that, that this, what they're saying is not true. Very good and point. And one of the things that was really huge for me is when I started my process to really start to know who I was, that's where this came into play and made such a big difference is I know who I am. I no longer question who I am as a person and what my heart is, what my, what I should or shouldn't be doing, because I know I took the time to uncover that. And so I, I don't have to prove to anybody who I am through my words. I do it every day through my actions. And I don't want anyone else to feel shamed or feel guilted into trying to defend yourself to someone else who is attacking you to try and convince them because you're not going to. What you have to do is say, I know who I am. And, and that's, that's okay. okay. That's, that's your prerogative to not know who I am, but I know who I am and I do not have to feel ashamed or try and feel like I have to defend myself. But there is something attractive about a confidence uh, for sure, um, where you can stand and somebody could have just, you know, railed at you and you just stand and you say, you know what, I know who I am because I know who God is. And that doesn't apply to me. Those things that you're saying to me don't apply and they don't belong here. They don't belong in my spirit or my soul or part of who I am because I know who I am. Right. And that, that just Yes, it, it distinguishes or extinguishes, not distinguishes, it extinguishes um, any kind of arrows that are hitting at you or coming at you. So. so I hope that Rebecca and I have shared with you in today in a way that has helped you understand maybe sometime in your past or in your present where you've been hurt and help you know what your brain's doing on the other side of that, why you feel the way you feel sometimes, and also to understand perhaps how the other person might be feeling as to why that happened. And hopefully we've also given you some resources in the way to respond so that you're looking at critiquing versus criticism. 